The first chapter of Mark is the text beginning at verse 38. We'll read through verse 45 of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 38. And Jesus said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also. For that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news about to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. I'd like to tell you a story this morning. Now that statement always generates interest, especially if you're a kid. And I guess there's a little bit of the kid in each of us. And especially is that true if it's a good night story. Now I want to tell you the story this morning, but the purpose of the story is not to put you to sleep. So you hang in there. This is the story. Jesus was going about preaching and teaching in all the little villages of Galilee. He had found out what his ministry was to be like. He found that out primarily in the wilderness temptation and knew then there that his ministry was not to be built upon some awesome displays of power, but upon intimate relationships. That's what the temptation to jump from the pinnacle was about. Satan was saying to him, why don't you just jump off of this pinnacle and the great multitudes will gather around you and they'll be so impressed with this awesome display of power. You can get this matter of introduction over with right up front and you can build your ministry on the crowds you get with this awesome display of power. That wasn't the way. The way was to gather a few disciples, a little band of pupils around him, and teach them. And that's what he did. And on a Sabbath day, he left the synagogue after the synagogue service, and they headed over to Simon Peter's house. It was the custom in that day after the synagogue service 
for everybody to be dismissed to go over to somebody's house and they would eat lunch there and this group of people became a kind of a, of a spectator, a, a, a group of people that would stand around watching the leaders eat and listening to the religious leaders discuss religious matters. But today was different. When they made their way over to Simon Peter's house, he, his wife met him at the door and said, Peter, I don't think today's a good day to have the meeting here. Would you, would you mind very much if we postponed the meeting until next week? Mother's really sick. I don't know if she's going to make it or not, Simon, and, and, and I, I just don't really feel like today's a good day to have a meeting here. And so Simon addressed the issue to Jesus, and Jesus said, just a minute, let me see what I can do. And they go back in the back part of Simon's house, and they find her lying on a bed, Raging fever has her face red and flushed, and she is indeed extremely ill. And so Jesus walks over to the bed of Simon's mother-in-law, and he reaches out her hand, the context says, reaches out his hand, takes her hand, and lifts her up. And immediately the fever leaves, and the flush of her fever disappears, and she's vigorous and lively again. And so she begins to prepare the meal. Indeed, the meeting will go on. But there's somebody in the house who sees that. And so she runs immediately next door and tells her mother, you remember yesterday how gravely ill Simon's mother-in-law was? Look! And they look out the window, and there she is, vigorous and healthy, fixing the meal. And that news got on the grapevine and spread throughout all Capernaum until the whole city was astir with the news of the healing. And when Jesus and his entourage finished their discussion and they started to leave Simon's house, they found that every sick person and all of those demon-possessed were waiting at the door for him to be healed. And the scripture says that Jesus healed them all and the news was raging in Capernaum. There was a man who was not there that day, that night, that evening. Oh, he was a member, of, he was a citizen of the city, but he had been banished to the hills. He was a leper. And he made his home out in the mountains outside the city of Capernaum. If the traditional site of the city of Capernaum and the house of Simon is correct, I stood where that leper lived a year or so ago. And, and, and banished out on the hillside, he was not permitted to go in that town again or any other town. He could just come so close to the edge of the city and that's what he did. And every night he would come down from the tops of the hills and he would just watch as this, and, and, and look over the city. He could hardly remember how his children looked. But he would never forget the day his wife discovered first the little white spot on his earlobe and then in the palm of his hand. And their greatest fears were being realized. And at night he and his wife would lie in the bed and toss and pray to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Surely not me, not a leper. And finally one day the disease was diagnosed and he was sent away. And so outside the city he lived in the hills. At first his wife and his children 
trying to keep contact with him. And so every afternoon late, they'd go as far as they could outside the city. He'd come as far as he could down the mountains and they'd shout to one another across the distance. How you getting along? Oh, I'm doing as fine as you could expect under these circumstances. How are you and the kids doing? Oh, we're fine. Please don't worry about us. Hi, Daddy. When are you coming home? We miss you so much. When are you coming home? And every afternoon it was the same, and he'd stand there longing to hold his wife in his embrace again, longing to feel those little arms around his neck. And every day she'd stand there with a broken heart. It seemed like his heart would break. That went on for about a year. Finally, he decided in a serious moment, this can't go on like this. Even if my life has ended, it shouldn't have to end for my wife and my children. They've got to go on. They can't be chained to a hopeless leper for the rest of their life. I'll tell them not to come back. Oh, I won't tell them straight off. I'll make up some story, and that's what he did. So that afternoon as they came out, he shouted to them, Honey, he said, I don't think you should come back anymore. You know, I don't believe I'm going to be able to come down from the mountains. My feet are so swollen and so... Next evening she came just as always. He came just as always, except this time he remained hidden in the rocks. And he watched as his wife stood there waiting, waiting until dusk. No one come, no one came. With a heart broken, he watched them as they turned to go back home. Every night it was the same. He hiding in the rocks, she coming, hoping that he'd come back out so she could at least see him. And finally, after a while, she came less often. Maybe now once a week he, she would come, now once a month. And every night he'd come down there and he'd sit, his heart breaking inside of him. Now years have passed. He wouldn't even know his sons. And she comes only perhaps at anniversaries and birthdays. And every night he cries his eyes out for them. But on this night he was watching an unusual thing happen. Out of the house of Simon springs these people in excitement. They're shouting, I can hear, I can see, I can walk, I've been healed. And they were partying in the streets. And he thought to himself, it must be that rabbi from Nazareth. His fame and power had spread abroad. And he longed to go down into the city and say, please Jesus help me. And while he was sitting there watching the celebration go on, he determined in his heart, one day I'll meet him who makes men whole. And one afternoon sitting in his place in the rocks, he heard a noise and he turned to see an entourage of people coming down the road, Jesus in their midst, and he said to himself, this is the day. And he reasoned within himself, no, if I get into the presence of those whole people, people who are well, they'll put me to death. I'll risk my life to do that. Then he thought, what life do I have? This is worse than death. What have I got to lose? And so he gathered his ragged robe around him and he started running straight down the road, straight to Jesus. And he was shouting at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean. 
He was hoping in his mind that the entourage, the people with Jesus, would turn and flee. That's the way they did. And he knew in his heart that Jesus would not. And sure enough, exactly that happened. That group with Jesus, fearing that the leper had gone mad, they turned and ran for their lives. And when they got about a 200 yards distance, safe distance, they stopped to turn around to see and discovered that Jesus had not run. What a sight it was. The Lord, precious Lord, standing in the middle of a road and a leper bowed before him with his face to the ground, humiliated at the way he'd look, he looked. And they couldn't hear what the leper said, but this is what he said. He said, Jesus, I know that if you want to, you can heal me. I sat out the other night and I watched as people came out of the house of Simon shouting, I've been healed. I know if you want to, you can heal me. And then a gasp went up from the followers of Jesus 200 yards distant for they saw Jesus reach out and touch him. You don't touch a leper. If you become defiled as the leper, you're sentenced to the same fate as the leper. No one touched the leper. As a matter of fact, even the rabbis would stand at a long distance and, and pelt them with rocks. Nobody touched a leper. But Jesus understood his story. For he too one day had to leave his home and he knew how homesick it was to leave your home. He knew what it meant to miss his father, just like these boys missed their daddy. And the scripture says that he touched him. I think the Greek word means that he drew him to himself in an embrace. It had been 10 years since that leper had felt the touch of another human being. And all of a sudden his eyes filled with tears and they began to flow like some dam had broken. As Jesus held this man in his embraced embrace, he wept ten years of frustration and rejection and homesickness and heartache and despair. He wept that out, and Jesus wept with him. And all of a sudden, this leper drew back in the in the amazement of what Jesus said. Jesus said, "You are healed," and so he drew back and looked. Sure enough, he was healed. And Jesus told him, now you tell no man, you go to the priest, has a testimony of your healing. But he couldn't contain himself. He went straight to his house, straight to his sons, straight to his wife, straight back to life. Now that's the story. What I'd like for you to do this morning is to leave with that story in your mind. But... There's some truths in this story that demand to be underscored. I want you to hear them. The first is this. I couldn't help but think as I read this story how that we all at some point or sometime in our life feel like the leper. So unwanted, so unnecessary, so ostracized, so alone. In the seriousness of our lives, at some point in time, we all feel that inner contamination, that sense of failure. Oh, we've covered up the spots, but we know they're there nonetheless, don't we? 
I got a call one time about a woman who was interested in the gospel and interested in our church. I went out to visit her. It's when I was pastoring in West Texas. I've never met a person that was more anxious and fearful. She could be, never be still. She paced. She wrung her hands. She was riddled with anxiety. She said, Pastor, I've had a lot of personal problems in my life. She said, I've had a lot of problems. She said, do you think there's any help in, you know, in this matter of talking to God, praying, and just kind of confessing your sin to God? And, and I explained to her as best I understood that even in the sciences of the mind, there is hope in, in being able to have a catharsis, especially with God. There's kind of a therapy and healing in that. And I gave her a book. The book was Redding's book, The Couch in the Altar. And in this book, the, theme, the thesis of this book is that there is, a, 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 there is a, a relationship between ones just bearing his heart to God and the healing and therapy that comes from that. And I left that book to, with her and I came back a couple of weeks later, got the book, visited with her a little longer, went back to my office, laid the book down on my desk and forgot about it. About three weeks later, I was working on a sermon and I remembered the thought that was in that book. And so I opened it up to get that thought and, you know, and use it in my sermon. And I found a little note. I didn't, even, I didn't know it was there. She, she placed there in the center of that book a hand-scribbled note that said, I had an affair with a man in California during the war. Oh God, please forgive me. And I thought, here was a woman who for 35 years carried that guilt and that despair and that estrangement around in her heart. For there is an, an innate integrity in every human being when violated must be restored. And so T.S. Eliot in his play, The Cocktail Party, has Celia Copplestone say to her psychiatrist, it's not that I have something in my life that I need to get away from or I need to get rid of. It's a sense of emptiness that I have failed someone or something outside of myself and I need to, a, to atone. Is that the word? That, that is the word. For, for there is a, a sense of moral failure that has no human solution. For who of us has not reached for a pilot's basin to wash our hands in innocency and found that it was not enough? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We've all felt like the leper. Is that why we send out those signals that keep people at arm's length from us? Because we don't want them to know what we know about ourselves, what we even think about ourselves. And isn't it true that what we think about ourselves is what we think other people think about us? There's a second truth. Foundational to this story is this, that Jesus touched the man before he healed him of leprosy. Now, I want you to get that. It says two things. It says, first of all, that man for all of his need, all of his crying need, his greatest need is the touch of love. His greatest need is the touch of intimacy. 
Now, I know he needed to be healed of leprosy, foul and loathsome disease as it was, but Jesus understood that his greater need was for somebody to touch him and to love him. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of that as a church as we prepare to make commitments to witnessing that what a person really fundamentally needs above everything else is just to know that somebody loves him as he is. In some cities, you know, that you can pick up the receiver of a telephone and punch some buttons, numbers, and a, an adult voice will come on, usually a female voice, to tell you the time and the temperature. The telephone company may or may not know that many people who dial that number haven't the remotest interest in the time or the temperature. They dial the number because they want to, have, they want to hear a voice. One lady wrote... I got so lonely, especially at night, to hear somebody's voice that I just dialed the time and temperature number just over and over again. At first it felt so good, then I got ashamed at having to resort to such a thing. And what about the woman who drunk herself into alcoholism, had a parakeet she taught to say three words, I love you. It was the only living thing that ever said those words to her. Don't lose sight of the fact that man's deepest need is for somebody to say, I love you, and mean it. I like those songs that are recorded again and again by other groups. One of them is the song Desperado. I'm not going to sing it. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, I know you have your reasons. Perhaps those things that are pleasing can hurt you somehow. You better not draw the Queen of Diamonds, boy. She'll beat you if she can. Now, the Queen of Diamonds represents things, material things. The Queen of Hearts represents love. You better not draw the queen of diamonds, girl. She'll beat you if you can't. she can. You know that the queen of hearts has always been your best bet. It seems to me that a lot of good things have been laid upon your table, but you only go for the ones that you're not able to get. Desperado, oh, you're not getting any younger. Your pain and your hunger is driving you home. Freedom? Freedom is just some people doing some talking. Your prison is you're walking through this world all alone. Don't your feet get cold in the wintertime? And the sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. And sometimes you can't tell the difference between the nighttime and the day. And you lose your highs and lows. Isn't it funny how the feelings go away? Desperado, desperado, better come down off your fences and open the gate. It may be raining, but there's a rainbow above you. Better find somebody to love you. Better find somebody to love you before it's too late. For man's basic need is the touch of love. There's a second truth in that. The second truth is this. 
that when Jesus reached out and touched the leper before he healed him, he was declaring the awesome fact of the gospel that God has come to our sphere. He has come to our leprosy, as it were. He has come to touch us where we are. It wasn't, go clean yourself up, man, and I'll accept you. It was, I love you and I accept you as you are. And there's something, there's tremendous instruction in the fact that he touched him before he healed him because God is saying your worth to me is not on the basis of how whole you are, how clean you are. Your worth to me just as you are. Isn't that glorious? For the awesome fact of the gospel is that Jesus came and died on the cross not because I'm a sinner and He wants me not to be. He came and died on the cross because He loved me covered from head to toe with leprosy, rotting flesh. And so God reaches out across the spheres of our need to say, I love you just as you are. Radical difference from the Pharisees for they had a salvation based on exclusion and the way you're saved according to the Pharisees that you, 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 you avoid contact with certain people and certain things. Jesus said, I've come to the repugnant and the untouchable. I've come to folks just like Gerald Tidwell. Two boys deeply religious. One of them wanted to be a missionary. He got sick and couldn't. His brother said, I'll go in your place. And so until he was 33 years old, Father Domain served in the South Sea Islands as a missionary in the late 1800s. When he was 33 years of age, at the prime of his life, he got word of some lepers on the island of Moloka. And that's where he went. And for the rest of his life, he lived among those lepers. He, he built houses for them. He improved their water supplies. He grew, helped them grow food. He loved them and cared for them. And when they died, he buried them. When one day Father Domain had a pot of boiling hot water and he dropped it on his foot, he felt no pain. For the first time, he realized he himself was a leper. He did a strange thing. Instead of crying out to God in the despair of that, he got out on his knees and he thanked God for the leprosy. And the next day when the lepers came to meet for the chapel service, he stood before them and began his sermon, not with the usual words, brothers. He began his, his sermon with the unusual words, my fellow lepers, and a cheer went up. And when he died on his deathbed, some sisters of the order and some of the monks gathered around him and they inquired of him like Elijah, when you die, could, would you leave us your mantle? And he laughed and said, why would you want my mantle? It's full of leprosy. And when Jesus died on the cross, his mantle was full of our sin. On his head was placed our sin and he thanked the Father for it. There's a third point. I, I didn't have time to give it in the first service and I don't have time to give it now. So it's the mystery point. There is one now. I'm not just pulling your leg. Fourth point has to do with 
the loss of sensitivity. You know, in my reading concerning leprosy, I found this statement. I want to read it to you. I want you to wake up and hear this. Listen to this. As I studied leprosy patients in India, certain findings pushed me toward a very simple theory. Could it be that the horrible results of the disease of leprosy came about because the leprosy patients lost the sense of pain? The disease was not at all like a flesh-devouring fungus. It attacked a single type of cell, the nerve cell. After years of testing and observation, I felt sure the theory was sound. The gradual loss of pain leads to the misuse of those body parts most dependent upon pain for protection. A person uses a hammer with a splintering handle and doesn't feel the pain, so infection flares up. Another steps off the curb and sprains his ankle and obviously keeps on walking. Another loses the nerve that causes the eyelid to blink every few seconds for lubricating moisture. The eye dries up and the person becomes blind. The loss of pain, the loss of feeling. Conclusion. When Jesus healed this leper, you know what he was essentially doing? He was giving him back the ability to feel pain. Have you lost the ability to feel pain? I mean, have you gotten so calloused that you can't feel the pain of this lost world? Have you become so calloused in your busy activities of life that you can't feel the sorrow of your next door neighbor? I mean, of the person who lives down the hall at the dormitory. So that they're dying and drowning in their hurt and heartache and all you think about is yourself. Have you gotten to that point? Have you become so calloused that you can't put your finger on the pulse of a diseased world and feel its fever and know that man's basic problem is that he's gone away from God? Can you remember how it used to be when you'd come to church and sing the songs with gusto and hear the sermons and they'd pierce your heart? See people give testimony and rejoice with them. Sob your eyes out for the lost. You remember how it used to be. Have you lost the sense of pain? Then I tell you, you're worse than the leper. And maybe our greatest need today is not, Lord, take away the pain, but restore it. God, don't take away the sorrow, but return it. God, don't make it where I cannot feel. Don't let it happen that I cannot feel. May I be sensitive to that hurt that's around me. Indeed, to lose the sense of pain is a subtle form of leprosy for which man should run to the Lord to be healed. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that these stories are relevant to us.
that what happened 2,000 years ago is not something that just happened to a man in his healing, but has its timeless and eternal message to us who sit in this place today. Oh Lord, I pray that you will return to us the sensitivity that makes us identify as one with the hurting and haunted and lost of this world in true faith that reaches out in love. And forgive us that we've been so preoccupied with our gain and our loss that we have not seen or felt the hurt of others, not even in our own home, not even in our own home. And I pray that you will bless now this invitation to the glory of God, that Jesus' name will be exalted and his kingdom extended because people will be obedient. Now there are three invitations. The first invitation is for you to come and receive Christ as your personal Savior. An invitation to join the church. An invitation for the rededication of your life to Christ. And then a very special invitation for you who have, who have felt that God has spoken to you about making a commitment just to sign your name to say, I'll, here am I, Lord, send me. At least I'll pray for those who have need. And what I'll ask you to do, if you're doing that, just come and lay them here on the ordinance table, place them here as a, as a visible expression of your commitment. Remember that there are other invitations than this one. Many of you need to come and join the church perhaps or come rededicate your life or come receiving Christ. We ask you to do that while we stand and sing.